welcome everyone to a special edition of Couch Potato Diary, your instant kind of reaction to UFC 288. My name is Peter Klein. Thank you very much for downloading and for listening today. This is going to be all about the Sugar Show, aka UFC 292, as we recover from what was a, a pretty impactful night of fights. We'll, we'll get into it as the show kind of goes on today, but... Find me on social media, Twitter and Instagram, I'm at PrimetimeKlein, twitch.tv slash PrimetimePK, and you can email the show CouchPotatoDiary at yahoo.com. Uh, all right, let's get right into it, your UFC 292 breakdown. Hi, I'm Kim Carson. And I'm Peter Klein, and this is We Had No Idea. A podcast about world events that you know about. But might have fallen asleep for during history class. Or social studies, however you learned history in high school. Each week, we'll do a deep dive into important topics throughout history. So whether you already know everything or feel like you need to top up on some history, we'll be here for you. Listen to us each week wherever you get your podcasts. Woo! All right, uh, let's begin with the main event as there is a new UFC bantamweight champion of the world and his name is Sugar Sean O'Malley as he knocks out Aljamain Sterling in the second round. It was a result, I'm not going to say, oh yeah, I called it, but it's it was one of the picks that we gave out on a, a four for four night. So pretty happy about that. But um, O'Malley was fantastic, uh, especially like the, the first round's a bit of a feeling out round, but a lot of that is because Aljamain Sterling can't really get fully comfortable in there against Sean O'Malley. And so now O'Malley is like feeling much like he's in kind of a, a sweet spot going into the second. Aljamain Sterling gets caught reaching a little bit and O'Malley with the right hand that sends Aljamain Sterling to the deck and starts the Sean O'Malley era. A, a phenomenal, phenomenal um, uh, performance, I guess, but punch for sure, and way to close the show, and um, we'll, we'll get into the stoppage in a minute, but this was, this was everything that you thought it would be for Aljamain Sterling, where, where he, or sorry, for, for Sean O'Malley, where he gets the champion to come out of his comfort zone a little bit into his world, and that is where Sean O'Malley was able to thrive, and if you were picking Aljamain Sterling in this fight, you were suggesting the opposite, that it'd be difficult for O'Malley to, to go in there and have success in the Aljamain Sterling world, given the improvements that he has made in, in certain aspects of mixed martial arts, but O'Malley was able to keep this fight in his world. He wasn't getting too aggressive in that first round where he was leaving himself exposed or anything like that. He fought a very composed, mature fight, which are not two words you would necessarily associate with the dude with the face tats. But uh, O'Malley was able to, to come away with a, a really impressive win. And it's not only the biggest win of his career, that's obvious they gave him a shiny thing at the end of it, but this was the most impressive performance of his career because he didn't let the moment fool him. Um, and that was, I think, really, really important. Or no, maybe not necessarily fool him, but just get the best of him in this and, and turn him into a fool, I guess I should say. But this was this was a... Great performance from Sean O'Malley when he absolutely needed a great performance. Some talks about um, the stoppage at the end of it. I I didn't mind it. I thought that they were it, it's they were kind of doing themselves a disservice on the broadcast. And sometimes you can just get caught up in the hey, wait a minute, I just saw that. Let's let's rack that back a little bit. They cut from O'Malley punching Aljamain Sterling right in the face and dropping him down, and then 
they play another clip. There's about five or 10 seconds in there of Sean O'Malley just going absolutely like bongo drums on Alan Jermaine Sterling's brain. And then they do uh, a little bit of the finish. And it's like, hey, that wasn't that wasn't nearly long enough. You, you have to give a champion like Al Jermaine Sterling more time. And if you wanted to give Al Jermaine Sterling more time, I would not have cried foul or anything of the sort. But I did not have a problem with the stoppage. I, I thought that they had given the champion enough time to, to kind of collect himself and stop getting punched in the head. And there was one quick one where it did look like he punched him out. And then he kind of punched him back on, if that makes sense. So I, I had no issue with the, the stoppage in that one. Um, but th this whole night was really about incredible potential realized for Sean O'Malley. And we talked earlier in the week, this hasn't always been the case. Sage North Northcutt is not the face of the UFC. Paige Van Zandt is not the face of the UFC anymore, um, or at any point, n never was. There have been a lot of times where the Patty Pimblett, another one, there have been a lot of times where the UFC has kind of earmarked someone as the next one, um... And then that hasn't necessarily worked out. Sean O'Malley, since his debut with Snoop Dogg and Uriah Faber on the call on Dana White's Contender Series, since that moment, he has kind of been tabbed as the next one. And last night, he proved he has he is now just the one. He is the one-on-one in the bantamweight division. He is your bantamweight champion. And now there is such potential for this. And again, I don't think I'd want to host a podcast with him. He probably wouldn't want to host one with me. Um, but in terms of the getting an aspect of things, he understands the value of social media. He understands the value of media appearances and he understands the, va the value of a viral clip that what it can do for your personal brand, for a fight hype and, and for the ultimate fighting championship brand in general. And by the way, he's really good at the whole face punching thing. So th this is... I think a champion that the UFC can kind of get behind right now. Um, and if he doesn't go too much into the, the heel side of things, I think he can be uh, a real mover for the ultimate fighting championship. This is a tough one for, for Aljamain Sterling. He was just starting to kind of get his due as being one of the, the best of all time in the bantamweight division. And then this happens and it's just, it's one mistake and, and down he goes. Um, but I just, I don't understand the hatred of him. And again, he's a New York guy in Boston, so maybe that's it. I'm sure you could come up with another couple of explanations as to why a Boston crowd would not necessarily appreciate an African-American champion. Those allegations have been out there for a long time regarding a number of different sports. Um, so maybe that was just it. But Aljamain Sterling, it never really felt like he really got what he deserved in terms of recognition for his talents. And we went through it. Each one of his title fights and title wins, you could put a yeah, but on there. Um, well, with Dillashaw, he had the hurt arm. Henry Cejudo, it's a three-year layoff. Piotr Jan, I mean, the only reason he would beat him in the first place is because he needs you in the face while your knee was down. Um, it's all of those things are really kind of, were kind of working against Aljamain Sterling. And he was finally able to, to kind of put all that behind him and really start to get some of the recognition he deserved. And then this happened. So it, it really is tough because all he did, like he just got caught reaching. He got caught coming in um, a bit too aggressively. He gets popped in the face and down he goes. That's, that's really, really tough, I think, for him. So uh, we will see what, what comes of this. What's next? Um, Sean O'Malley calls out uh, Marlon Chido Vera, who does win in the pay-per-view opener. A bit of a snooze fest. And one that, quite frankly, I didn't score for Vera, but I didn't 
have a major opinion against it. Um, it it's just kind of the way that it, it worked out. But for um, for O'Malley, if he wants to call out Vera, that that makes some sense. Uh, Marab Defalashvili is dealing with some injury issues right now. For those who don't know, Marab has been kind of hovering around number one contender status for a little bit, but is a training partner of Aljamain Sterling, and that was just a no-go zone. Well, now the, the, the zone can be a go, I guess. And I, I think Marab is a very viable contender. If he is ready, he should be the next one for that fight in Vegas. Um, if Marlon Vera wants to, to stake his claim as the last and the only professional to, to beat Sean O'Malley, that works as well. Uh, so there's a couple of viable options there. My guess would be it ends up being, being Marlon Vera next, but it, it should be Marab. Uh, and then for Algerman Sterling, I think he deserves some time off. Um, he had a really quick turnaround for title fights anyway, coming off of a, or a split decision win over Henry Cejudo and now getting knocked out in this bout. I, I think Aljamain Sterling just needs to take a little bit of time off here. Um, if he wants to come back at 135 pounds, I think he gets an immediate rematch given the extent of his title reign. Uh, I don't think that there's any issue with that. Um, if he wants to move up to 145 pounds, I think you give him a title shot too. I think because... In my world, he's taking time off. Volkanovski does move up to 145 pounds. So Aljamain Sterling, uh, a fight with him and um, Taipura would be, I think, a whole lot of fun. I think a fight with him and Yair Rodriguez would be fun. I, I just think there's more options for him up at 145 pounds to kind of kickstart a run up there. But I think either way, Aljamain Sterling has earned the, the right that his, his next bout is for a championship. Moving on down the line, Zhang Wei Li with a dominant performance over Amanda Limos, the most one-sided beatdown uh, in terms of total strikes landed in the history of women's UFC as it was 288 to 21. And I, like sometimes it's, oh, well, this person had ground control and it. Nope, nope, just an ass kicking. <laughs> nope. Oh, it was just, nope, nope. It was just Zhang Wei Li being better than uh, Amanda Limos. Um, and it, it felt like it, like there wasn't a whole lot of times where Limos felt like she was in danger of being put out of there, but there was very few times. We'll get to them in a second. But aside from a quick, oh my God, um, there, there wasn't ever a moment where it was like, okay, well, now Amanda Limos does have control of this fight. That that wasn't necessarily the case there. Um, just a, a dominant performance. Like we said on the preview, it just felt like Zhang Weili was better everywhere. And because of that, you had, like, Limos would do something and then Weili would counter where it really was one step backwards, two step forward. Like she, okay, I'm in a bad position, but I know I can counter this and I can now not only get on top, but I can move into side control. And so, okay, oh, you you are landing this punch. So not only am I going to be able to counter it, I'm going to be able to bump counter it. And now I've landed three and you've landed one and now you're bleeding and I'm not. Like it just, it did feel like every time Limos did something, it ended up putting her in a worse position because Whaley was just better. Um, and that was, that had to be incredibly frustrating for Amanda Limos. There was a couple of scares though, uh, or there were a couple of scares though, I guess would be the, the proper way to say that. Um, both of them darst chokes. The first one looked tight. She does clear the legs. And I thought Rogan did a good job of explaining that, but that looked tight. And that looked like a, oh my God, she's going to have to tap out. Or you're just like, you're waiting for the tap or you're waiting for as morbid as it sounds, or the, you're waiting for the body to go limp and credit to Zhang Wei Li patience, got out of it. And again, 
not only got out of it, advanced into side control, got into a better position, and just absolutely had uh, a time with a, a victory, uh, obviously, over Amanda Limos. But that was, it was a tricky, tricky spot for a second, and then it wasn't for, for Zhang Weili. Um, it just, it felt like she was unstoppable, and it just... Credit to, to Amanda Limos, but Brian Campbell in Morning Combat said it kind of felt like a boxing mandatory. That's kind of what this felt like. It's like, well, you're the number one contender, but you're not. But the other contenders aren't available right now, so I guess you'll do. Um, all due respect to Amanda Limos, who is certainly a, a top 10 fighter in the sport, um, but I, I do not believe she is on the champion's cowl or on the in the championship tier right now. Good fighter, not a great fighter in terms of the, the UFC. Uh, in terms of, of what is next, I think it should be Tatiana Suarez. Uh, she has kind of been dancing around a, a title opportunity for a long time, and I think now certainly deserves that chance. Uh, a couple other quick ones here. Ian Gary with an absolute dominant win over Neil Magny. No idea how we were able to cash uh, this fight going the distance and also Ian Gary by decision, but because like it, it just looked like with Neil Magny, the whole he's a one-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. At one point, he was a no-legged man in an ass-kicking contest. I don't know how he was standing, um, and I, I thought Ian Gary kind of let him get away with a few things and was able to... Yeah, I just thought he was able to, to let... Magni, I don't want to say stay in the fight, because make no mistake about it, there were zero seconds where he was in this fight, but he was literally existing in this bout, and I, I thought Gary missed a few opportunities to really put that stamp on it with an impressive finish, but um, he doesn't, and I, I think like that there is a bit of Connor's shadow that Gary is hanging out in right now. Um, just given some of the antics and stuff, and it's not even his own, like he's just kind of doing um you don't need a Conor McGregor. We have a Conor McGregor at home. Kind of doing the Wish.com version of things right now. So I I just get frustrated by that because it's just it's so obvious, right? Like, he, he at least has charisma about it. Um, Juliana Pena is one of the worst ones. Like, oh, she's ducking me. It's like, really? Really? You, you want to play that? Okay. Um, but Gary, it's coming across so fake and that was the thing about Connor is that like it just it felt like hey this is Connor um and then it was and it turns out he's a bad dude but th this has been much more it feels much more staged and it feels like he's trying to be Connor instead of just establishing what Ian Gary is and I thought this could have gone a long way to establishing that and it, it didn't really impressive performance no doubt about it an impressive performance against a very tough fighter in the UFC's welterweight division. Um, I do question how much longer we can put that mark on a, a Neil Magny, but um, th this was, it was an impressive performance, but it wasn't the dominant performance that we needed from Ian Gary. You can hear my dog barking in the background here. <laughs> well, now that the dog has stopped barking, let's go into the, the last bout that we're going to talk about here. Uh, Chris Weidman loses to um, Brad Tavares. Again, pretty convincing uh, it, it sounds like there are substantial leg injuries once again for Weidman, not the likes of which they kept him out for two years, but um, ligament damage in his knee following uh, a leg kick heavy game plan from Brad Tavares. I, I don't say this often, but I absolutely agree with what the um, UFC president Dana White was saying. Chris Weidman, um, if this was the last time we saw him in the octagon, I, I would be very comfortable with that. 
he just he is not on the championship level anymore. Um, and any suggestion to the contrary was just the the highest pie in the sky type of ideals uh, coming out of this one. So no, don't like he he is not a championship caliber fighter anymore. One of the the greats in the history of the middleweight division, and one of the greats of the the last era in the middleweight division. But that is over now. He had lost six of eight coming in. Then he broke his leg, and it just didn't look like he had it. And you could say like there was a sharpness missing because of uh, missing two years. But at thirty nine, is he going to be able to get that back right away after what looks like another long layoff? So um, he was talking about getting back to the, the championship level. That feels very not likely at this point. Hopefully for him, the championship in this all was just being able to get back into the octagon for 15 more minutes. Uh, Speaking of 15 minutes, our 15 minutes is up. Not that I put any time limits on these, but that is going to do it for the show. Thank you all so much for downloading and for listening. This was a uh, audio only version uh, for this one. So yeah, thank you all so much for uh for listening again you can find me on social media twitter and instagram i'm at primetime klein twitch.tv slash primetime pk and you can email the show couch potato diary at yahoo.com coming up on the show tomorrow we're going to look at some of the key storylines from ufc 292 we are also going to go over a big weekend for the toronto blue jays and we're going to go simple with our list for nfl preview we're just going to look at the top 10 players in the nfl right now so that surely won't draw up any kind of controversy or anything like that uh so we are going to do that then we have another mock draft coming up on Tuesday. So thank you all so much for listening and I will talk to you all later.